wild courage exists to galvanize a generation of men. The tools and courage to fight for what matters most. And tell the stories that are born in the redemption of lives and souls. Hey guys, welcome to the Wild Courage Podcast. Today, I guess it's going to be my turn um, to be in the hot seat. We've been doing this podcast for about a year, have about 16 episodes out, and everyone keeps bringing to my attention that I should probably do it, because I keep dropping hints of my story, so it's probably time that I do it. And um, I want to introduce you guys to... um, a very close friend of mine named Josh Stenson, who is going to be the guy that gets the challenge of doing my interview. Thanks for doing this, buddy. Thanks for having me. It's, yeah. It is time. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. It's, um, I guess part of the reason why I haven't done it is because I never wanted this to be about me, this podcast. Um, but again, I've, everyone that I've had on are people that I know and been my mentors in one capacity or have these cool, gnarly redemption stories. And I, I guess I do relate to part of their story in some way. And so, yeah, I've been getting a lot of heat for not doing it. So today's the day. Yeah, I'm excited, man. I, I know probably a decent amount of your story, right, that, that you shared over the years and uh, I think we've known each other for what six six ish years now. Yeah, Josh and- lives like a mile down the street from me, and we have this core group of friends. Uh, we all live on Sales Yard Road because the livestock sale barn is on our street, so it's called Sales Yard Road. And uh, we, we refer to ourselves as the Sales Yarders. Um, <laughs> but our families kind of do everything together. We camp together and do life together, and our kids. We we never know whose kids are at whose houses eating whose food. Like we just really do life together. And so I was actually my wife's idea. I was like, you should have Josh sit down and do this with you. So again, thanks for yeah. tackling this. No, I, it's, I'm honored and, it, and it's a privilege. And uh, like I said, I know, I think a, a decent amount of your story, but there's still so much that I'm sure I don't know and we'll uncover today. And I feel like it would, your story could easily be a movie. You know, it, it has a little bit of everything. It has the, the, the party days, the the trauma, the the rock bottom, the redemption story, in which I've had the that's that's when we met each other. That's when I've I've known you as the the redemption part. Um, but there's it, it literally has a little bit of everything. So I'm excited to to for you to take us on this journey today. Yeah. Well, let's do it. Awesome. Um, and I think what starting kind of going back to the beginning, right? Your, your parents got divorced. At an early age, it sounds like. Yeah, I think I was like in kindergarten. Okay. And um, so some of my earliest memories aren't super great. Kind of like, sure. you know, you, you you tend to remember the things that stick out that as as we get older, we learn that a lot of it is from trauma, or, um, not the great things. And I know there were great things when I was little and when my mom and dad were married. But, you know, when as far back as my memory goes, it's like I can remember some good things, but... A lot early on was some of those like the fighting and this and that, and then mm-hmm. I just remember um, w- one day, not super clearly, but it was like my dad t- 
trying to explain to me that him and I were moving to Montana and mm-hmm. my mom and my little sister, Amy, who's like four years younger than me. So she was real little. She wouldn't remember any of that, but we're, we're moving away. And I, I just remember being super confused. Like, well, why are mom and sister moving that way? And we're moving to Montana. Yeah. How did, how did that happen? How did it go from we're getting a divorce to you and your sister splitting up and going different ways? Um, I've, I've, I've learned later in, in life that there were some ultimatums made by my dad, um, to my mom, um, of why that happened. Cause it's not normal, right? Usually the mom gets the kids and, and my dad kind of fought for me and, and, um, so it, it just ended up that way. And I know that as my mom and I have been on this redemptive healing journey, that that was a very hard thing for her to deal with and something that she's deeply regretted of not, you know, Mm -hmm. of letting me go with my dad. Not that she really had a choice, I guess. And things were back different in the early seventies, you know, like, it's not like it is today is like with going to court and custody battles and this and that. I think it was just kind of, um, they agreed that this is how it was going to be. And, and, it was very painful for my, my dad. My my memories of us moving to Montana were also not great. Um, okay. I just remember my dad, like, crying himself to sleep at night, and I could hear him in the room and, like, just, like, wanting to um, make him feel better, mm. you know? And then he had a job, like, logging, and I would walk to school. It was, like, a, a mile, maybe. And then I'd come home, and he wouldn't be home till six, seven o'clock at night. So from three o'clock to six or seven, I was by myself. Right. Like, which is crazy yeah. to think of yeah. like your five or six year old. It's just a different time. Right. Yeah. Like, and yeah. I, I'm not saying that it, it didn't probably hurt him for that to be the case, but he was going through so much of on his own. I, I don't, I don't really know where he was at when he was like thinking about that. So how, how did you, I've kind of wondered this, how do you interpret like as a child, right? Like it, it's it's hard enough that your parents are getting divorced. You're trying to figure out why they're not together anymore, and now you're away from your mom, your sister. Like, do you remember thinking like that through, or ra- trying to rationalize it? Was it just you kind of went into survival mode, and here's life now, and this is what it looks like? Yeah, I don't think you have that capacity to like wonder or think like logically, yeah. rationalize what's happening. It's like, this is life. And I just remember being sad, like missing my mom and my little sister a lot. And then we weren't up there too long and my dad got remarried. Okay. And to a lovely woman who I'm friends with to this day. So that was cool mm. how we reconnected. But she was great. Um, I, I don't think they were married, but a month or two. Okay. And then all of a sudden we were moving back to my hometown in Idaho and, and without any explanation. Yeah. Um, so she wasn't in your life very long. No. And I, it's weird. Like my, I remember my dad telling me that, um, like I'm allergic to cats and like she had cats and we moved into her house and she wasn't willing to get rid of her cats. Okay. And I've since talked to her about it. And she's like, Jeremy, I didn't even have cats. So I, I don't think my dad on purpose was like, making it my fault but subconsciously i'm like yeah unpacked just a few years ago like 
well, that's a kind of a lot to put on a kid. Like, you're the reason why this marriage didn't work, right? Oh, for sure. Did you see your mom and sister when you were in Montana at all? I don't remember. Okay. I remember my sister coming up with my grandparents, like, for their wedding and stuff. Yeah. And maybe in the summer for a minute. But I, it wasn't until I was later that I remembered, like, the transition, uh, transaction of the drop-off and swap. Yeah. Which I've had to get some healing in how painful that was, like, missing, getting, I would literally get, like, sick, like, a week before I was going to go see my mom, because I knew I was going to miss mm-hmm. my dad. And then... I would be, I wouldn't enjoy my time there with my mom for three or four days until I was kind of over being sad about leaving my dad, and then vice versa. A week before I'd go home, yeah, I just would get these really bad like stomach aches, like it physically would show up, like, and then just screaming and crying two hours before and after the drop off. And it didn't matter which yeah. parent; it yeah. was just like torture. I a couple of years ago, I had a dream. There's a there's an old truck stop that's been abandoned in um, at the halfway point between Boise and American Falls, which is where I grew up. And my mom lived in Boise that the drop-off would happen. And I had a dream that I was in this wrecking ball and I was like destroying mm-hmm. this truck stop that represented yeah. this painful, you know, <laughs> drop-off spot between yeah. my mom and my dad. So that's kind of like childhood up to like, you know, third, fourth grade was just kind of that. Spend okay. the summers with my mom for a month and then, you know, some holidays here and there. And and my sister would swap. So we'd, we'd get to spend a little okay, bit of time. Okay, so you guys weren't together very often. No. Yeah. We'd, we'd get, uh, when I'd go see my mom for a month, I guess we'd be together and then she'd get to spend a month with us in the summers, my dad, but we Which, didn't grow up together. It just, it sounds brutal from the from a standpoint that, like you said, you're with your mom, but you're not with your dad, vice versa. It's it's like, it's a no-win situation, right? I mean, no matter who you're with, you're missing the other one. You're trying to figure out why we're not together. Like, as a child, I can imagine that's that's pretty tough. Yeah, and it and it being extremely painful for them, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I know for my dad and, and my mom, you know, remarried at, at, at that point. And it... You don't know the, the ramifications of it till it really shows up later in life, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. all these things I'm learning now about abandonment and sure ne- uh, feeling neglect. Like I, I just remember like in Montana, like teaching myself how to play baseball by throwing the ball up on the roof and it'd roll off and I'd catch it, you know, mm. just being a lonely little kid, which shapes us to yeah. today. Like I, I really don't care to be alone as you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and even when, when you were with your dad, he wasn't around a decent amount. It sounds like. Yeah, I mean, he was, and I have so much grace for both my parents in mm-hmm. this. Like, talking to my mom, she had me when I was, she was like just barely 18. So I happened when they were, she was 17, right? Yeah. And then making these life altering decisions at 22. Like, who knows what the hell they got, what they're doing at 22 yeah. years old, right? Like, there's no way that I could be making these types of decisions because we're not equipped to. Right. So I just have a ton of grace for, you know, my parents and, but also recognizing I've learned in this journey of like, we protect our parents a lot. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and recognizing like, Oh, they didn't show up for me here. Mm-hmm. I have grace for them, but this is kind of the way I am is because they neither, they weren't there for this or that. And like, just being okay with it and being like, no, I still love them. 
and they're human and they made they made some big mistakes. Right. Yeah. And, and I've had the opportunity to get to know your mom a little bit. I mean, she's she's awesome. Amazing. Everybody loves her. Yeah. She's she, she has more energy than anybody I know. Yeah. She's and her and I have had a beautiful, beautiful redemptive journey mm-hmm. and story of us me reconciling like a lot of pain in my past and where we're at today is is amazing. Right. I, I, I wish I would have gotten to meet your dad. You know, it, it, everybody I've talked to speaks extremely highly of him. It sounds like you carry a lot of stuff that that he uh, he instilled in you, and just you know, you guys. It sounds like you have a lot of his his traits and attributes, and you you both are very gregarious and make a lot of friends, and it, that's what I picture when I hear people talk about your dad as a guy that everybody loved. Yeah, I thank you. I. I I don't think of it very often, but the other day I was driving home from doing a podcast in Wyoming and I was like, I am my father's son. Yeah. Yeah. Like I hear myself sometimes. I'm like, that's something my dad would have said, you know? Yeah. And, and, and he unfortunately passed away five years ago, um, out of the blue. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I've had to go on a, a healing journey with him, with him being gone. Right. And it's been harder. So that's why I always encourage people like have those hard talks with your parents while you still can um, so that they can get healing and, and redemption. Because what I found with my mom is she had so much um, guilt and shame that from, you know, how things shook out when I was little um, that I I really couldn't forgive her for until I told her my whole story. And then once I did, it like set us both free. Yeah, it, w- it was super hard to do that, but it's been harder to do with my dad because it's a one way thing, and and you can get healing from a parent that's gone, um, in in this journey. But it's it's a lot easier to do it when you can sit down and have a conversation with them, right? So let let's tap into that a little bit because you and you've helped me a lot and encouraged me. I've I've had the opportunity to recently hear my dad's story. Mm. Right, I sat down with him and he shared his his story as bullet points, and it, it was fantastic. I mean, we're we're both crying. I'm, I'm able to connect some dots and just the compassion that I was able to have through hearing his story uh, was just a, a fantastic experience. And, and I'm so thankful for us being able to sit down and do that. My question is, what what encouragement can you impart to maybe some guys, some gals that, that don't have that opportunity, like you said, that you, you didn't really have with your father? What's that journey been like? Well, it is one of compassion because I, I encourage anybody that's struggling with someone, um, and it's hard to do, ask them their story. Mm-hmm. And with our parents, especially our parents' generation was such a under-the-rug-swept generation, yeah. right? Because they were raised by parents of the Great Depression. What in the hell are you going to bitch and moan about <laughs> if you've been through the Great yeah, Depression, so right? True. So you raise your kids— in a way, if you don't complain about stuff, you don't talk about stuff, especially feelings like that we're in like new territory yeah. talking about these things, right? So to go back and have that conversation with your dad and ask them their story, and like everything makes more sense. And, and you have so much more capacity for compassion for them. And that's why when I'm helping dudes or whatever, like, what did, what is your what was your parents what are your grandparents like? Mm-hmm. And most of the time, it's like, oh, my dad had it way worse than I did. And yeah. it's like, as you can see through generational lines, like we're getting better. 
Like our parents had it way yeah, worse than we sure. did, right? And so through that kind of compassion and understanding of like, man, they've been through a lot. And just like with my mom, like getting to the point, like she made some some hard decisions at a very, very young age that she regretted. Who who doesn't, right? We're all human and make so just going back into my dad's life and looking at what he'd been through and um decisions he made that he wasn't mm-hmm. proud of, but we gotta live with those decisions, right? But just kind of having compassion for him and when I'd get frustrated that he did things the way that he did, um, and he's gone, I can't mm-hmm. talk to him about it, but I can go back into his story and look at his life and find compassion for him, which provides healing for me, you know? So how did you uncover his story, I guess? Is it is it stuff that you've heard over the years? Is it anything that you had to <sighs> like dive into? Like, how, how did you... I put myself in his shoes. Okay. As a single dad... With the, trying to yeah. go through the heartache of his life, not throwing any shame on my mom, but mm-hmm. he was heartbroken when my mom left him. So trying to mitigate and manage your own brokenness and raise a five or six-year-old boy doing the best that you can mm-hmm. and having a job, like that's a lot on your plate. And my dad was young, mm-hmm. right? So if I put myself at my... At what he was going up against when I was his yeah, age. that's good. Dude, I, he did great. I couldn't have done it. I would have, I probably would have, if I would have had a child at his age in those circumstances, he fought for me. Yeah. I would have said, you know what? You're better off with your mom. I got to go figure this out. My heart's broke. She was in a better place. I'm not saying she wasn't hurt over the divorce, but it was her choice. She left him. Yeah. It would have made sense, right? But he didn't. He fought for me. Yeah, that's good. So he made some mistakes along the way, but I can always go back to what's the story? No, he fought for me. And that's where the compassion comes in, right? Yeah. Yeah. He he chose me. He chose, even though he knew it would be harder for him to raise a, a, a boy and have a full-time job, he did it. Yeah. That's good. That's real good, Jeremy. Now, part of what what's been confusing for me and and just knowing you over these last six years is, you know, I feel like we we travel to different places. We go camping and and it's it's like everywhere we go. Oh yeah, I used to live there. I knew this this person here. And you know, we we go up to Montana and it's like, oh, I lived there for a little while. And then we're going to Wyoming for a camping trip. And along the way, we're stopping in places. We're like, oh, that's where I went to high school. And and it, it's super confusing to me because I feel like you've lived everywhere. And so. What was after Montana? You, you moved again. So you we came to Idaho, right? Yeah, we moved back to my hometown. Okay. And it was a soft landing spot. Dad divorced again. Grandma and grandpa were there. And I think he needed some time to figure some stuff out at this point. So that's, I started spending a lot of time with my grandma and grandpa. Who okay. lived in the home, my American Falls. And my mom's mom and dad uh, also lived in American Falls. So I, I had some places to be while he was trying to figure it out. Again, I, I don't remember exactly where we even lived. I think we lived with Grandma and Grandpa for a while. And then he actually, not too long after we moved back, married a girl he went to high school with. Okay. They were married for a few years. How long was he single for? Never very long. Okay. I don't, I, I, I don't know the time frames. Like, it's a little blurry yep. to me. 
Um, especially when you're little, everything's bigger and happens faster or slower, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, that's when my life really started changing is when he married uh, stepmom number two, we'll call her. Okay. So mom number three, stepmom number two. And you were how old? About? I want to say I was in like fifth grade. Okay. Something like that. Um, maybe younger, maybe fourth grade. I, I really don't remember. Um, she had a son and daughter who were younger than me. Okay. Like a couple, one, the son was a year, daughter a couple years, or my sister's age. Um, and we, dad bought a place outside of town. And that's when my life really started to change, not for the greatest. Mm. Um, there was a lot of manipulation and a lot of things that I've had to work through later in my life happened in this uh, 10 year time period when they were married. Um, but, we we were there for a year or two, and then we my dad took a job in California in the Bay Area managing a, a ranch, okay. a cattle ranch, outside of Oakland, actually. So we moved again. Uh, you and the stepmom and the All kids. Yep. yep. Okay. Um, not my sister, but yeah, the, the new family. We moved there. We were okay. there for I want I went I went to school for a year and a half there and then um dad came home. I think I was at I was uh I was home for Christmas visiting my mom and he picked me up with all of our stuff and like we're moving to Oregon. So like I didn't even just say goodbye yeah. to my friends. I had stuff in my locker, like, you know, you're getting into age in junior high where your friendships are like yeah. starting to develop and that was hard for me. So Oregon was with new new stepmom number two, and okay, all right. yep. So we moved to Oregon. Um, she had started to become manipulative. Looking back at it now, hmm. um, and it it was starting. The older I got, the more it turned physical. Okay. Um, I, I don't know why. I I, I don't know why. Um, I didn't get along great with her kids, I guess. Um, She would say stuff to me like, if you tell, I'd be like, I'm going to tell my dad that you scratched me or, you know, whatever, beat me, uh, like, we're we're like past the line of spanking. So she was physically abusive. Yeah. Okay. She would say things to me like, if you... Tell your dad, and we get a divorce, it'll be your fault like it was the other two times. Mm. Like that kind of stuff that was like, oh, I, I've already seen my dad go through all this pain of these other marriages. And so I just felt trapped. I felt trapped in this, like nobody had my back, right? Like I couldn't say, dad, you don't know what she's doing to me, mm-hmm. right? Well, and that, that she seed was planted over. with the cat thing too, right? Like, yeah. As a kid, that that's already in the back of your mind, and she's adding on. She to confirmed that. it. Yeah. You're exactly right. Which, again, at the time, I didn't know any of this. This is all stuff sure. that yeah. I've been has been a revelation to me in the last ten years, five years. So I kind of just towed the line and felt trapped and alone. And she was just constantly manipulative like that. Um, again, we were in Oregon for. I went to school for like a year and a half. Halfway through eighth grade, my dad family meeting and my dad was gone all the time. Like when you work on these big ranches, mm-hmm. like you work six and a half days a week, we'd always go to church. I grew up in church, always went to church on Wednesday night, 
Sunday and Sunday night, right? Okay. The nomination I grew up in, that you went to church three times a week. So he had Sundays off most of the time. So, but other than that, like he, I was with this woman all the time and, and yeah, eighth, halfway through eighth grade comes home. Mm-hmm. It's like, we're moving back home to American Falls. And I'm like, I have friends. I'm on the basketball team. Mm. This was like the most painful move for me. Cause I loved living in Paisley, Oregon, this little tiny town. Um, I had my friend groups, and again, I, I was on the basketball team. You were pretty involved in sports, right? Like, was that kind of an escape for you at the time a little bit? It, it Looking back now, like, yeah, that's why it, it drove me to, is like, anything I could do to not be at home with her. Right. Like, if I could go uh, in the cowboy world, like, my, I grew up wanting to be a cowboy. I had horses. My first horse I got for, like, my fourth birthday. Um, all I ever want to do is a cowboy. Like I never watched Star Wars to this day because yeah. it wasn't about cowboys. Yeah. Like I never got into anything in my life that wasn't cowboys till sports came along. Um, and on the weekends, I would get to go with my dad often, and and as with all these big cowboy crews, right? And they'd trot out, and that was like what I lived for. Yeah. Um, I, I remember being so sad on those Saturdays um, that I couldn't. They were going to do something that I couldn't go with them knowing that I'd be stuck with her all day on Saturday right. and not to go be with these cowboys and trot out with my dad to go make these big circles and do what I love to do. I just remember like that feeling of like him saying, no, I can't take you tomorrow of devastation of knowing what it was going to cost me on the other end of it. Cause you couldn't go anywhere. There's no excuse. I just felt trapped, yeah. man. Like looking back now in that whole decade of living with her, feeling trapped but again we moved a year and a half mm-hmm. and i'm like that one that one sucked that one was hard to transition back now i went to like second and third grade at home so mm-hmm. fast forward to eighth grade i remember a bunch of these kids okay but basketball season's already started dad i mean i was devastated right because you're right it was an outlet for me to be out of the house trying to find my identity away from Mm -hmm. the home life situation, right? That they had what they called the fifth quarter. So the coach let me be on the fifth quarter team. So after the game was over, all the parents left and like the guys at the end of the bench got to play in the quarter Yeah, because they, the team, these guys were way better than me and the team was already established. So that was hard to transition back, but Looking back now, like moving so much, I had to get good at making friends, right? Which okay, has served yeah. me well to today, I guess. Right. Okay. So you you come back, it's eighth grade, and then did you stay there for high school? I like, got where to, was high school? I got to go to... So up until eighth grade, I never went to the same school for two years in a row. That's crazy. Until high school. So halfway of eighth grade, and then I did get to graduate and go to all four years of high school, which I, I'm, I'm really grateful for. Okay. Because that's a pretty formative time mm-hmm. of your life of establishing who you, you're, who you are and your identity, right? And high school was, getting my driver's license was one of the single most important days of my life. Because that was freedom, right? It represented freedom. Yeah. I bought a car with money that I worked for when I was 13. And dad and Uncle Ralph got it going. So when I got my license at 14 back then in Idaho, like you didn't have to drive with anybody. Like so young. Yeah. You just couldn't drive it. You weren't supposed to drive at night until you were 16, right? 
Yeah, I look at now like kids and fourteen should not be driving. Um, <laughs> what what car did you get? What was I got car? a nineteen sixty eight Dodge Power Wagon, short uh, bed, four wheel drive, which is rare. I've never seen another one of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was canary yellow, and I waxed that thing fifteen times because <laughs> it didn't run yet. You know, my dad got it going, and um, but that represented freedom, man. Mm-hmm. And then sports, you know, really starts. You got freshman basketball, you got JB football. And, um, that, that was, that was, and the great thing about like basketball is when you're a freshman, you don't practice till seven thirty at night because the varsity girls, varsity boys, mm. JV gets to practice in front of you, which meant I could stay in town. Cause we lived out my yeah, dad okay. bought a ranch that we were fixing up and, um, I could stay in town and I'd hang out at grandma's or hang out with friends. So during sports, I'd leave in the morning, and I didn't have to be home right. ever. So and that that worked out well for you. Yeah, because the manipulation got worse. I was pretty popular in high school. Um, you know, had girlfriends all the time, had a car, played sports, was getting better at sports, and my— You, you made it off the fifth quarter team? Yeah. my yeah. I made the—you had to try out for freshman basketball. I made the team. And then between my freshman and sophomore year, I grew a bunch— Okay. Yeah. And that helped. And I went to basketball camps. Like I worked hard at it. Um, but again, it was more about this escape of, and, and an outlet, you know, of trying to figure out who I was and needed to be. Um, but yeah, it, it was my refuge, man. I, I got to not be at home. The, the, the abuse started changing to more manipulation. Um, so what was the manipulation like when you were older? Like, like, was it still the physical stuff, or was it what she would say? Some, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would. I would. Uh, she'd get a hold of me. Mm-hmm. Um, but things like I lived downstairs in an unfinished basement in this old house we lived in, mm. like concrete walls. My dad put up, framed it up a corner of it next to the hopper where we had coal. Like I would shovel coal mm-hmm. into the hopper for heat, and. I would walk upstairs. It'd be so cold down there because they pumped all the heat upstairs, right? And I didn't. I didn't have any. I had to plug in uh, milk house heater down yeah, there. Yeah. But I'd go upstairs, and she would like make them hot cereal, bacon, eggs for breakfast. And I'd be walking up the stairs. She'd be carrying it into their rooms, and she'd look mm. at me and be like, "If you want anything to eat, you know where the cold cereal is." Ugh. So just that kind of. You know, manipulation. My friends or my girlfriend would call me, and I'd, I'd hear the phone from downstairs. I'd run upstairs, and right when I'd be getting there, she'd be on the phone and looking at me and being like, "He's not here right now, and he can't talk on the phone." Click. Wow. You know what I mean? Just yeah. like, yeah. So just constant torment, which is why again the sports and and really was an right. outlet and escape for me. And again, that have my driver's license and my own transportation was like I was never home, and I had a job. Okay. So is. And you, when you were talking about the basement, is this the snake situation? Yeah. Like what? Like so, uh, would have bull snakes. We we both don't like snakes. <laughs> yeah. So when I, when you told me this, I, like, <laughs> so there's this. Imagine this this basement, and there's a room that you they dump the coal outside. Yeah. Then you have to shovel, or they had a hopper that filled this room full of coal, and you would shovel. You'd open the door, and you'd take this coal and shovel it into a hopper that went into the furnace into a auger, right? And that's how we heated yeah. our house. Well. There was cracks in this foundation, and I mean, there was mice everywhere. I had mouse traps everywhere in my room. 
But one year, a bull snake got in there and had, Gosh. I don't know how many babies or how many of them they had, but I would get up in the morning and there'd be baby snakes like coiled up in my shoes, mm. in my closet, everywhere I could think of, there would be snakes. And I've, I've always been afraid of snakes, yeah. but yeah. yeah, that house, man, Brutal. <laughs> living down there in yeah. that cold concrete. <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine that. Yeah. You and I both don't do snakes. That's brutal. <clears throat> so the high school, you have your car, you're doing sports. When I when I hear kind of like you talk about those teenage years, which kind of transition into like the twenties and whatnot, I think of like party days. I think of you know you surfing the front hood of your car down Main Street. You know your your mullets blowing in the wind. Like <laughs> you got your Def Leppard shirt with no sleeves. Like like that's what I picture. Like is that that's very accurate. Other yeah. than um, growing up in the religious house I grew up in. You, technically couldn't listen to Def Leppard, but... Right, okay. I did. I just didn't have the T-shirt. Um, yeah, so my sophomore year, I got a Trans Am T-top. I am your... Yeah. I mean, I'm that guy, right? Yeah. Way, way cooler than I really was in my own head. <laughs> like, jock, had my parking spot, like, at the high school. And if anybody parked in it, one of my buddies with the truck would hook onto the... If an underclassman yeah. or somebody parked in my spot or any of our spots, we'd like drag their cars out in the middle of the parking lot, right? Like that's hilarious. I mean, like jock, every stereotypical nineteen nineties movie you've ever seen. I was that guy. I mean, yeah, you know, I always had a girlfriend yeah. and the Trans Am with the T tops, and we cruised. That was all we did. Had a you know worked at the grocery store with all my buddies. Like I was the cliche. The mullet. Funny, yeah. All of it. Yeah. It's embarrassing now, but yeah, I was that guy for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. And growing up the way I did, like, I never really even had a beer till like my my junior senior summer. And I was so scared. I had a I had a hard uh like curfew, you know, like Mm -hmm. I kind of towed the line. I I was I was I was afraid of the party thing because, you know, beer equaled hell, you know, pretty much. So you didn't really drink in high school then? I did a little bit. Okay. More my senior year, you know, um, I dabbled more. But it wasn't it wasn't like what it turned into be for sure. I, I was really scared. Yeah. So that's interesting. I, I didn't realize that because we'll, we'll kind of transition into where that went. But I... I mean, I didn't drink a lot in high school either. There was alcoholism on both sides of my family. And my parents, from a religious standpoint, I saw my dad drink a beer maybe twice growing up. Like, it was, it just wasn't what you do, right? Yeah, I was never around it, yeah. ever. But then, right, so coming from that to then, for me, it was, now I'm 21, I can drink and it's okay. So that's kind of what started my my road down that that path. So for you, though... High school, not really drinking much. You just said senior year. Like, where did it go from there? Well, when I graduated from high school, I was like, now what I'm going to do sports is over. Right. I did so poorly in school um, that I barely graduated. I, I always, I, I would always cheat my way through school to have a 2.0 to be eligible for sports, but that was it. Like, I okay. never really had like a 2.2 even, right? It was like, what do I got to do to stay eligible? And then... Usually a girlfriend or somebody would, I mean, I just cheated yeah. my way through school. It was super hard. 
Well, what I didn't know is I'm super dyslexic and, you know, all these things that I've since learned. And the teachers, like, yeah. 80% of my teachers, like, half of my teachers might taught my parents. They're on their way out. Like, they really could care less about, like, I don't think Jeremy learns the same as everyone else, right? Like, right. It was like, they just kept bumping me down to dumber classes and dumber classes. And like, that's been a recent revelation, right? Yeah, like, no, realizing, hey, my brain works differently. Yeah. Like I, yeah. It's been super empowering now to know that I'm not dumb. I just thought I was dumb. Like, mm-hmm. um, so as soon as I graduated, like my counselor guidance counselor is like sending me on jobs to be a welder's helper. Like, this is what you're going to be. And I'm like, sports is dumb. I'm not going to college to play sports. Um, so the cowboy so you didn't thing, have any desire to, to try to do sports in college. Um, I had an opportunity. Um, and I, at that time I was kind of, interested in maybe rodeo and school scared me so much that it it was a pretty easy choice to uh, my uncle Ricky rode bareback horses. So there's pictures on the walls and I was like, that's cool. There's girls go to rodeos and sports is over. And what am I going to do? Like knowing what we know now about identity, like you're as a young man, if you don't go to college, you're really searching for Mm -hmm. trying to figure out who you're going to become. Right. And so I kind of fell back into cowboy. Like I got more interested in the ranch and started helping out again and sold my Trans Am. I bought a pickup truck and started wearing a cowboy hat to school my senior year and like knew that I was going to transition into something. And identity meant so much to me, like the jock thing and now the the cowboy thing. Like I got to be somebody. I couldn't just be a kid going to school or a kid getting a job. Like I needed something to stand out. Right. Okay. So were you, did you, were you going to college or no college? Nope. I chose to go to Wyoming to Jackson Hole. And I found out about this guest ranch that let you rodeo. Okay. Um, Jackson Hole has a rodeo on Wednesday nights and Saturday nights. They pay your entry fees because Mm -hmm. they take the guests that stay there for the week to the rodeo and they get a cheer for you. Okay. So, dude, it was like the best yeah. deal ever, right? And it's like all these college kids work there, college girls, because you got you have you have all the services that go with the guest ranch. You have the gals that work cleaning the cabins and you know cooking and doing the food and stuff. And then we were the cowboys, man. Yeah. And the drinking thing, the all I needed was freedom. And the and the beer thing, like I'm only 19, but it didn't matter because. I got a fake ID. Like it is just mm-hmm. that simple. My buddy Aaron's like, here, try this. And back then they're like, yeah, okay. So I got to go to the bar after the rodeo. They would video the rodeo. I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up. They would yeah. video the rodeo and then they'd play it at the bar on a loop. <laughs> Tell the bar yeah. closed at two in the morning in Wyoming. So, so this is where like the party, like the drinking really started during this stage. Socially. Yeah. It's like, yeah. we went to the bar on Wednesday nights. After the rodeo and Saturday nights. And you'd get to see yourself on the TV yeah. at the rodeo and dancing with the girls and learn how to dance. And then we'd go to the KOA campground, which is down the road from where at. Because at the Heart Six, the ranch I went to, it was, it was a dry ranch. Like, we couldn't drink or anything. So we'd go play pool and listen to jukebox and do laundry and drink. Okay. But it, it wasn't like a – it was a social thing. Right, okay. But it was two or three nights a week. Yeah, for sure. Now, we're – I'm assuming that your was your stepmom still in the picture? Was she still married to your Here's dad? Here's the kicker. Yeah. As soon as I graduate and leave home, they get divorced. Of course. Okay. And I'm like, 
Are you kidding me? Mm. Like, uh, anyway, I, 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 my first year at, in Wyoming moved away from home. They get divorced mm-hmm. after I leave. And again, I don't remember the exact timeline. I get a phone call on the pay phone. Hey, Jeremy, your dad's on the phone because they would call it mealtime, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, I'm coming to see you. And I'm like, cool. And he's like, and I got remarried. And I'm like. Remarried again. Yeah. And I'm like. So this is number four. Yeah. And technically, he got married to my stepmom, the the one we've been talking about twice. They got divorced, then they got remarried. Okay. In a very short amount of time while I was gone. So, yeah, this is his fourth wife, Trudy, okay. whom, whom he was still married to till he died, whom I'm still very close with and yeah. we get along great. But yeah. So he's like, I'm bringing her up. I'm like, cool. At this point, I didn't care. I'm like, you go live your life, do whatever you want. I'm out. I'm right. I have, I have, I'm free to move about the country. Right. Like whoever you marry, they can't do anything to me. So I really didn't care. I didn't care that he got remarried again. Okay. I was like, cool. Are you happy? She's a cowgirl and loves horses and packing and hunting. I'm like, great. Go enjoy your life that you've built for yourself. And but at that point you didn't have to live life with them like it to your no I yeah. never I never moved home again. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're you're in the rodeo thing. You're the cowboy rock star, starting to drink a little bit more. Did you what What were your relationships like? Like when I when I listened to you talk about your childhood and your upbringing and all the moving around and obviously having situations of of you know, loss and, and that kind of thing. Like, did that show its face within your relationships at all? Where you, did you have like kind of like a surface level relationships where you go and did you have a lot of close friends? Like what was that dynamic? I had a ton of close friends that I'm still friends with today from that first summer. Yeah. Like it's crazy. Yeah. Because I had an aptitude for friendship Mm. and I wasn't afraid to move. Mm. I didn't have a lot of fear. I had a ton of fear, but on the outside, I was that guy that was like, I always chase, I always pursued people, mm-hmm. like the guys that maybe didn't have a lot of friends. I'd be friends with them too. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, I just had a phone conversation with my boss from back then, mm. who was like the head wrangler two days ago. Wow, like that was dude, nineteen ninety two. Yeah, right. And so, still friends with them, but I pursued relationship. You've always valued relationships. Yeah, because, and and with girls, I had this huge mom hole in my life, right? I didn't know at the time. Right. But I'm like, I'm trying to find love. I'm trying to find someone to fill that that wound from being abandoned. And I'm like, maybe if I find the right girlfriend or enough girlfriends that that will go away. So it's shaping up to to set my life on this course of like, I pursue friendships. I'm I'm trying to figure out, and I'm getting good at having girlfriends. And how right. to get girlfriends. Trying to fill that void, but not realizing probably what you were doing, right? For sure. And then the, all my that job was seasonal. So I went to hunting camp. Mm. Hunting camp gets out around Halloween. And then I'm like, now what? And my buddy Rusty's like, let's go to Arizona and rodeo. They rodeo all winter down there, of course, because it's mm-hmm. nice. I'm like, we had a pocket full of cash from being in the wilderness and not spending any money from hunting camp. So like, let's go to horseshoeing school and get jobs and rodeo on the weekends. We jumped in our trucks and literally drove to Phoenix. 
I feel like, you know, when people have those maps of where they've traveled and they put the little pins in the, like, <laughs> like I picture these like strings connected to all these pins, like going all over the place, you know? Yeah. Like, that's why I said it's, it's just confusing to me. Like you've, you've been all over the place. Yeah. And, and it, it just, knowing what I know now, yeah, like it served me perfectly because I could have these relationships on my terms with men that couldn't hurt me. Mm. Right. Girls, if I started having feelings for them, I would go find another one. Okay. So did you, and I moved all the time. Did you, would you find yourself ending things with these girls before they would like, what was that dynamic? No, I would like? always make them do it. Really? I didn't want to hurt them. Okay. But mostly dude, it was easy. Cause I, I, I would go to Arizona for the winter and rodeo and then, it's a six month gig and then I'd move. So I was like, sorry, I really care about you, but I'm leaving. And they're like, Oh, we'll try to make it work. I wouldn't break up with them. I'm like, yeah, we'll make it work. And then you just don't answer the payphone, Right. Okay. Or respond to the letters. Right. Like, so because of what you grew up with, right. What you experienced, you almost found yourself on the other side of that. Yeah. Right. Like protecting it's yourself. Yeah. Oh, man. And the, and the party, like, Turned up a notch in Arizona. Is like rodeoing with guys that were really, really good. Mm-hmm. How, I, how old were you at this time when, when you were in Arizona? 20. Okay. Still on a fake ID. Okay. Yeah, 19. 19, 20. So I, the rodeo thing is, and I'll, and I'll wrap this rodeo thing up real quick. Yeah. I liked the lifestyle. I ran with guys that were really good, had sponsorships, and paid my way. The party and went to a different level. Okay. We're drinking at noon. We're not having jobs. We're I'm 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 doing what I need to do to stay awake to drive all night because I was the rookie. Okay. And doing things that made me very uncomfortable, but I did them anyway. Cause I, I love the lifestyle, man. And it was it was it was come and go. What do you mean uncomfortable? Things that were in opposition of how I grew up and was raised. Because you were, re- you were, you had that religious background. Yeah. And I, I knew that the drinking thing I could validate, but some of the other things I was getting into um, scared me. Okay. Deep down, I was like, this isn't good for me. This lifestyle isn't good for me. And I wasn't that good at rodeo. Every time I'd hmm. get ready to quit, I'd like, I'd win a little bit of money that made me think, oh, keep going. You're good. Like, I wasn't good. Yeah. I wasn't that good. Yeah. But I loved the lifestyle, man. It fit right into the narrative of who I wanted to be. And I wanted to be seen that way. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be that guy that rolls into town and with my buddies. And you're you're getting with the girls and you're or you're fist fighting. Mm. And I wasn't very good. I was good at the girl thing. I wasn't very good at fist fighting or riding bucking horses, but my buddies were. Okay. So, so were you were you like the instigator? Or are you the one that would stir everything? Sometimes up? Yeah. they would be like, "See those guys over there? Go get in a pick a fight." I'm not kidding. Really? Yeah. And I'd I'd go over there and say something stupid, and they're like, "All right, let's go outside." Because you're you can be a smart ass, right? Yeah. Now. Oh, yeah. I totally. Am. And then we'd go outside, and I would kind of sit there and watch my buddies <laughs> whip their asses, <laughs> and the cops would show up and we'd run. And I mean, it was a thing. It was what we did. Yeah. Golly. So the rodeo thing I did for like three, four years. Okay. And in the meantime, I'm moving to Wyoming, working on ranches, Rodeo Jackson Hole, Rodeo Arizona. 
So was this, did you envision this is my life? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the cowboy thing. Or did you, the, or were you not thinking that far ahead? The cowboy thing, yes. I, I never thought past a season, right? It was like my whole life looking back has mm. been, I'm um, uncautiously optimistic. I had to be growing mm-hmm. up, right? I would never sit and like, this is my life and it sucks. I was always like, where's fun? Where's an escape? And mm. I'm going to run towards it. So this lifestyle of moving every six months was perfect, right? Because nothing was, I, I don't like change. I didn't like grinding it out. Mm-hmm. That was all scary and high stakes to me. So I just kept moving mm. through my 20s. So the fascinating thing is, because when I when I talk to you now, and since we've known each other, you've you've been a guy that stands out to me as somebody that has vision, like somebody that kind of sees almost prophetically like into the future and, and, you know, gets these visions for, for whether it's businesses or ministries. I mean, this wild courage thing, right? Like, like you just have such vision to, to think forward, but at that time in your life, it, that didn't really exist or you weren't tapping into that. Right. No, because it was survival. I was on Mm -hmm. the run. Okay. I didn't know from what at the time I knew there was something inside of me that said, go. Right. And my friend Pat Puckett said that anybody who's ever felt trapped becomes a wanderer. And I was mm. a wanderer. I hmm. needed to wander because being trapped was too scary. And I felt trapped for a lot of my life. And that's where a lot of the pain and the hurt came, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, I had, I, I had a great life, man. And I always got to be... Because when, when you work at these guest ranches and stuff, like, it's seasonal and it's always um the the people that work there are college age so what do college people do right i'll, I'll you can read between yeah, the lines yeah. a little bit right but that's what was happening at these places there are 70 80 employees at these ranches mm. which 80 percent of them 70 percent of them were, were girls mm. and somebody always had the next day off so somebody always wanted to party that night mm. right because somebody would have tuesday and wednesday off somebody so it just was this perfect atmosphere for fun. Mm-hmm. And I oh, I just want to have fun. I didn't want to deal with any anything. I didn't like confrontation. I didn't mm-hmm. like the thought of grinding a job out. So I got to go be a cowboy every six months and move around. So looking back on it now, right? And and just you're you're obviously very I would consider very healthy individually, emotionally, spiritually. Um do you, can you identify, I was, that was my escapism. Like I, that's, that's how I was just kind of numbing out. I didn't want to think about that For stuff. Sure. Yeah. Okay. And that's why it made me fun guy because I mm-hmm. never would, I would only get so far. Right. In any of my relationships, right. With the girl, it would only, could only get so far. And then I'd be like, Ooh, I'm really starting to like this girl. And that's been something I've had to work through is mm-hmm. like, I dated some really, really amazing girls mm-hmm. and trashed their hearts or whatever, you know, and, mm-hmm. and in my own brokenness, you know, we always, we bring our own brokenness and crap to the table and, and that, that's, I've had to deal with, sure. with that in, you know, in the later years of my healing journey of like, man, that wasn't very cool, you know, yeah. but I, but the stakes were too high and, and I wasn't built or ready for r- real relationship. And I, and I kind of tried to have some, and one in particular, I, I a girl I had dated for re- world record for me. Like we made it through the seasonal transition. Mm. So we were together for over a year and um, we were, um, I was shoeing horses in Wickenburg, Arizona and, and training riding colts. And 
she came down to visit me and we were laying on the couch and my phone rang. I had a house phone now, right? Like I was uptown, no more pay phones. Mm-hmm. And me and my buddies were in the house. And anyway, I got this phone call and this girl's like, I don't know if you remember me, but my name is Renee. We met at a wedding a couple of years ago, a year mm-hmm. and a half ago. I just wanted to let you know that you have a baby girl. So this was the first time in my life, yeah. like that, this lifestyle is catching up to me. So in that moment, when you heard that, what what were you thinking? What happened? What did you do? I ran into my bedroom. I said, I, I remember telling Renee, I'm like, I need a few days. She's like, I want to send you some pictures, and she's like, she tells me, she's like, I don't need anything from you. It was very hard for her to track me down. Yeah. Because we met at a wedding that she wasn't even at the wedding. It was at a bar after the like, wedding. Like, that was the only time you... She knew my first name and the motel I was staying at. That was it in a different state than where I was even living. So, it, it took her some doing to track me down. Yeah. And, and she let me off the hook. She's like, I don't need anything from you. I don't want anything from you. I don't want money. You don't need to be involved. I just felt like it wasn't fair that you not know. How dare I not? Like, she took the high yeah. road on this. Right? How old was your daughter at the time? I want to say a year. Okay. And again, that give or take. So, cause it, it was hard for her to track me, find me. Yeah. Jeremy from this date, this motel, it was a wedding party is how she ended up, yeah. you know, tracking my friend's wife down. But so I'm like, I need a few days. I go back out. My girlfriend is like, what was that? And I'm like, she's like, you've been crying. Cause I got off the phone and I'm like, yeah. I was like freaking out. Right. Yeah. Like the gigs up. What am I going to do? I can't even manage myself. And I told her that my cousin got in a wreck on a four-wheeler and was badly injured or something. (laughs) And then she ended up sending me some pictures, and I put them in my sock drawer. And my girlfriend came down and did my laundry to surprise me and went to put my socks away and found the pictures. Mm. And this create this, and the only reason I even bring that up is, is... Secrets became a very big part of my life. Okay, because you you didn't want to be too vulnerable, right? Like I, the, I couldn't. Yeah, I I needed everyone to like me. Hmm. Because if they got to know you, they wouldn't. I don't know, but I couldn't risk it. You didn't want to find out. No. Yeah. Because the family unit. Outside of like the safety, and we'll get into this a little later, but of my grandma and grandpa's house, mm. like family didn't feel that safe to me, but my friends did. Mm. And if I kept it to a certain level, they couldn't hurt me. Mm-hmm. So I was all in with my friends. I was all in with that girl. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this was like devastating for her to be like, you lied to me. I can't like, I'm I. Of course, it's beautiful. I want you to be a part of her life, but why Why would you lie to me? Like, why couldn't you tell me, right? And it's because I needed everyone to think this way of me. I needed, you know, to everyone to mm. approve of me. And this, like, was this huge wrinkle. And it, ultimately, I told her, I'm like, well, I'm coming to Wyoming for this summer. I'll drive up there and we'll do a test and then we'll go on from there. So I go to Wyoming, talk about scary. I don't tell anyone. I don't tell anyone in my life about this. The only one that knows is, were you still dating your girlfriend at the time? At the time, time, yeah. So I drive up to Montana and meet Renee and 
Gabby, it's my beautiful daughter, mm. and do the DNA test, and she's like, "I'll let you know." Well, the the the, the lab results have my address, right, in Wyoming. So, okay, uh, yeah, one day, a couple weeks later, however long, I get this big vanilla envelope with, "Yep, you're the dad," um, which I knew as soon as I saw her, right? Yeah, because she looks more like me than um, at that point than her mom, and I think still. Um, and mm-hmm. then it was like, now what? And I remember telling the people I worked with, Grant and Jane, and being scared to tell my family because the religious thing of like premarital sex mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the shame of all of it, um, not towards Gabby, but just on myself that I was going to feel for my family, which the opposite was true. My parents were so loving and my mom and and would fly over to Billings to see her. And mm. you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. my, my dad loved her very much and and my sister mm. and my wife now, Mary, like they, I mean, she's a huge part of our life, but the, the, one of the things I'm grateful for is that Renee and I were never together. So we never really had any problems. There was never any friction between us. It was always about Gabby. It was never about her and I. Okay. And, but I, I would send money, but I wasn't a dad. Yeah. Because my lifestyle was still, I, nothing changed. Okay. I had a daughter that I felt financially responsible for, and I felt guilty about that I wasn't a part of her life. So where did she grow up? In Billings, Montana. Okay. And then you just kept... I'd go bounce over there and see her when I could. My yeah. mom would go fly her over to Boise and meet my... I mean, if it wasn't for my mom, I don't know what my relationship with her would be like, to be honest with you. Because mm. I was on the run still. And so it was... I just felt guilty all the time. So you just kept doing what you were doing. Yep. You're doing the same lifestyle, traveling, yep. com- competing still. No, I, I quit rodeo in like 1994 and then um, really got into the horse training and the roping and, and that kind of filled that spot of my identity, right? Because okay. I had to be somebody other than who I really was. Still doing the party thing? The party thing is full blown social heavy drinking at this point. Like I just surround all my friends. That's all we, we did. That was part of the lifestyle like this. And, and the crazy thing is in the cowboy world, it's kind of celebrated. Like you work hard, Mm. you fight and you drink whiskey. I mean, it's, it's part of the deal, you know? And so it, I just fit in. It wasn't like, it was just part of the deal. Right. And move, move, move. I was working for the Rockefeller family in Jackson, Wyoming, their private family retreat. Mm-hmm. And a girl I knew said, hey, um, my my boss is buying this ranch in Tinsley, Wyoming, and is looking for a horse manager. And I'm like 29, have a daughter, and this is only a few hours from Billings, okay. from where Gabby is. So I'm like, maybe it's time to settle down. I have some nice artwork I've acquired that's bounced around the back of my truck in between moves. I'm like, how cool would it be to have a place to hang it up? So I go interview for this job to manage this horse ranch. And I'm becoming a pretty decent horse colt guy at this mm-hmm. point. Um, and I get the job. And it's a year-round job with a salary. Guy built me a 5,000-square-foot brand-new house with this huge heated indoor arena. Yeah. And like a checkbook to go build this horse program. Very wealthy guy. Um, so I'm like, I'm going to get my life together. Yeah. Like this is kind of like the writing on the wall was like, you know, when you start turning 30, you're like, okay, 
people kind of give you a pass for your twenties to figure it out. Right. Right. So I felt some pressure to like get my crap together. So were you, was this, you kind of settling down a little bit? Yeah. yeah. Oh, huge. You were ready to not travel as much. Yeah. I was like, I think I'm ready for this. And then everyone's so proud of me, right? Like all my family and friends are coming to visit. And I got this beautiful place at the foot of the Bighorn Mountains and crushing it. Yeah. And I'm about 12 miles south of a town of 120 people or something, 10 Sleep Wyoming. So it's a little tiny town. What I wasn't ready for was the shock of being by myself. Mm. So I've always been around a ton of people. Okay. Always. Right. I always lived with my friends that I worked with and partied with. Like it was, it was a fret club. So that was completely gone overnight. Gone. Okay. The minute I moved to that ranch was the first of the January. And my house wasn't done. So I was living in the boss's basement. It was a nice house, but um, nothing like the basement that we talked about earlier. (laughs) No no snakes. snakes. Yeah. 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 Um, and the, the, the newness and excitement of the brand new truck parked outside uh-huh. and the construction of my new house, like wore off in a week. And I'm like, what the hell have I gotten myself into? Interesting. I'm in isolation. I, I don't know anybody. Yeah. I'm good at making friends. There's no friends to be made. I live in the middle of nowhere. Mm. So the winter, I had friends come visit me, like my friends from Arizona would fly in or drive in. Like I had a ton of friends come stay, which helped me get through that first winter. Okay. And the newness and excitement still. Springtime comes, get invited to a few Brandons, get to meet people. There's a couple bars in town, spend some time there. But that's when I started like drinking by myself for the first time in my life. Mm. Um, First summer, I went to a ton of roping, so... That kind of scratched the social itch. I went to all these Northern Range ropings with all my buddies that I'd met over the years. And um, I'd get I'd go get Gabby, and she'd come stay with me, and I'd kind of keep my crap together then. And okay. How old was she during that time? Little. Three, four okay. years old. Um, five, maybe. Um, and then the winter came. Mm-hmm. And, dude, like, the drinking... And I, and I and I remember being like, why? Like, I haven't made. I have a dream job. Mm-hmm. I'm putting together this nice string of horses. I get a ride for a living, a salary, which I'm not used to. Mm. I think I had benefits and health insurance for the first time <laughs> in my life, right? Yeah. Um, I got I to gotta back up real quick. I got a DUI right out of high school. Okay. Um, and it wasn't that big a deal, like... I got a DUI driving my buddy's truck and it's like, you paid a fine. And then I lost my license for a few months, but I was in hunting camps. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay. Um, right before I moved to Wyoming, actually I got another DUI in Arizona. Okay. In in between now and when I was 19. So 20. we'll make a note of that. That's DUI number two. Yeah. Well, right like the week before I moved to Wyoming to get this fancy job, I'm in Phoenix, my f- my farewell tour party, uh-huh. and we've been in it for about three days. And my buddies who are like professional party guys are like, we're staying right here because we're too drunk to drive. And I'll never forget saying, I'll pilot this thing. 
And 15 minutes later, getting pulled over Ugh. on the freeway in Phoenix with DUI number three. <laughs> and I'm supposed to leave the next week to go start my new life at this job in Wyoming. Okay. So this weight of this is like, on, I'm on the run. And, mm-hmm. and I'm like, secrets, right? Like, I don't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I go up to Wyoming, year and a half goodbyes, my driver's license expires. I go to get a new driver's license, and they're like, you got to call this number in Arizona. They're not giving you a driver's license. So now I, ha- I'm, I have this job, all this thing, and I can't get a driver's license. Or my, my boss changes insurance companies. is oh, like, shit. I need your driver's license um, for a new insurance policy. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. I'm like, oh, it's expired. I'll, I need to go get it. I just would make up excuses that like once a month, like, Hey, we need drugs. Oh man, I need to take the time to run to Warland and whatever. Right. So I don't do it. And then summer turns into winter and the girlfriend scenes, slim pickings, right? There's, there's nothing going on in 10 sleep Wyoming. I'm just spending a lot of time at the bar to the point where I have a tab there that is exceeds my monthly income. Really? Yeah. And you were making good money at that time. Uh, yeah, for a fair amount, cowboy. Yeah. yeah, I was spending more at the bar because the one thing, too, with needing friends is I was real generous when I drank. Mm. So there'd be tourists stopping in town, and I'd be like, it's on me, woo, party. <laughs> and then the the bar owner at the time really liked me because I spent a lot of time in there, yeah. you know? And yeah. so I did, I did end up meeting this girl there that uh, her parents retired there. And we started hanging out a lot. Um, I, I knew that we were too much alike in that we were, in, in hindsight, but we were both hiding, running from something. Okay. And we found each other. So the drinking was like her and I it, it, were getting into into it bad. Okay. Like daily. But this DUI thing, I got to go to Arizona and deal with it. So... I make up a reason why I got to go to Arizona. I need to get a little knee surgery done. So I'm like, well, I got to go to Arizona and get this knee surgery. And then I'm going to go to court. Mm -hmm. Right. When I'm down there, I go to court and I have to go do some jail time, get that out of the way. Mm. Come right. But while I'm down there rehabbing my knee, I see the rag on the wall with me and, and this girl is not good. And she's getting drinking a lot and calling my buddy Aaron's house where I'm staying at in the middle of the night. Like, I miss you. I need him, mm. you know, just drunk. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I, you wanted out of that relationship I, at this point. Once I got away from yeah. there, I okay. did. Cause I'm like, this isn't good for either of us. Right. We're very codependent and we're, our lives are surrounded by getting super drunk every night. Right. In isolation. And I was, I was, even without her, I was drinking so much that I was like passing blood in places I shouldn't have been, right? Not mm-hmm. eating, mm-hmm. like, and I couldn't figure out why. Again, I have this perfect life. So, so let's go there real quick and then we'll go back to the girlfriend. But when, you know, we, we've talked about this where you see somebody in life that seems like they have everything, right? They have their stuff together, they are living the dream. I mean, you, you have the, you're living in this mansion, the trucks, making decent money, living, you want to be the cowboy. Like everything from the outside looks fantastic. So what was going on on the inside of you, though? Like what, what was driving all this drinking? And can you tap into that a little bit? Yeah, I didn't know. 
I, I, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm on the cover of magazine. I mean, dude, mm. I mean, it's everything. Everything that I'd worked hard for, because even with all the drinking, I was a hard worker. Yeah. I never, I, I never didn't show up for work. I might not even go to bed the night before, but I would always show up yeah. for work, right? <laughs> and I, I don't know why. It was a mystery to me. Like, I remember, like, getting... Did you a, think about it? Or yeah. was that not even... Oh, yeah. I'd be okay. like, I don't want to do this. Like, why am I not fulfilled? Why am I not happy? Yeah. Like, you would have those thoughts? Yeah. Okay. And it was always like, well, once I get here, once I get here, once I get here, and then right. you get there, and, and we found on this podcast with a lot of the guys we've talked to, you yeah. get to the top of the mountain, you're like, this isn't what I signed up for. I thought it would be fulfilling, and it wasn't. Mm. And it wasn't fulfilling. And it 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 was the opposite. I'd never felt more alone. Mm. on top of the mountain because I was by myself. Yeah. And I didn't know why I was, I didn't know why I was drinking so much. But I you, just, but you questioned it. Like you had those thoughts, like, well, why when, am I doing this? When, when, yeah. When there's blood <laughs> coming out of you. Yeah. You're like, you, this is insane. You've got to stop doing this. And then mm. by four o'clock, that afternoon after feeling crappy all day, I could get there mentally to why I could validate it. So what did you come up with? What was, what was the validation? I was alone. I, I mean, it, it, it's vague now. I don't even remember. I just remember mm-hmm. it, when you're an addict, you you just validate mm-hmm. yourself into it or shame. I did it yesterday. I already blew it. I'm already wrecked, right? Mm. Not, I'm, I'm like, God is like, I'm hiding from him, right? Did you carry a lot of shame at that point? Oh, dude. Yeah. Yeah, I was raised so in opposition of this lifestyle and the things I was doing that it was very conflicting. Yeah. Yeah. And you didn't, you couldn't get out of it. No. I And I think maybe, you know, I'd get to a place where I'd get so sick that I'd maybe white knuckle mm-hmm. it for three or four days, then you get feeling better. And and then again, I was a, uh, uh, always an optimist. Mm-hmm. I was always like, okay, that's going to be fun. That's going to be good. And that was part of the deal, right? Like drinking mm-hmm. was part of me having fun. And like, I couldn't imagine a life without doing that. Mm. So were you able to think ahead at that time? Like, no. were you, okay. So you weren't even going to, where, where does my life go from here? No, because you're in, I'm in survival mode. Mm-hmm. I got to get to tomorrow. Mm. But I'm going to have a good attitude about it because <laughs> I, I, because the the opposite of that is like thinking about anything other than tomorrow, mm-hmm. which seemed too scary. The stakes were the, way too high. Mm. It's always forward, mm-hmm. always forward. So yeah, I get, I get, I, I, I break up with that girl while I'm in Phoenix, mm-hmm. and then not too long after that, she ended up committing suicide. Mm. And that was too much. Mm-hmm. I I haven't talked about this outside of a few close friends because mm-hmm. I hadn't really dealt with it because my whole life was built on anything painful, you just move Mm -hmm. on from it and like literally sweep under the rug. And it's something that's been buried for a long time. Right. 
to the point of like, the, the truth of the matter is, is that when I got back to Wyoming, I quit that job and left the state. Mm. Because she, she, that's I, where you guys were hanging out. Yeah. I couldn't, the thought of, yeah, it was too much, man. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was too much. And, and I have up until this point made other excuses why that job ended. And, um, but the reality is, mm-hmm. is that I, it was a small town and, and I, I couldn't deal with it. So I didn't. Yeah. I left. And that was, a, it was very painful because I thought I was letting, you know, letting everyone down. Right. The people that took the chance on me that hired me to my parents, to my aunts and uncles who came and visited me. Mm. Er, everyone was real proud of me. And I felt like really for the first time in my life because, oh, Jeremy finally got it together. And the pain was high enough and the stakes were too high that I was like, I don't care. I got to go. So that's what I was just going to say is like that, that in a lot of ways was a dream situation, but the pain was so much that you're like, I'm out of here. Yeah. And again, not really, it's all, it's all hindsight. Yeah. I mean, in the moment I was like, there's no way I can stay here. And I knew it wasn't good for me (laughs) to be there anymore. And there's a whole bunch of other circumstances, but at the end of the day, 